0: If you have your Bibles grab those uh, Luke 1 we are starting our Christmas series uh, hopeful expectation and so we're going to start in the book of uh, Luke chapter 1 this morning um, uh, and so uh, as you're turning there I, just, this word has just been on my heart uh, over the last few weeks month or so just this this word of of hope and I just haven't been able to, to shake it I haven't been able to, to get it get it off my heart I haven't been able to uh, to, to just move past it, but just just this thought of hope, and it's just, it seems like there's so many different things that we put our hope in today. Uh, I mean, so many different things that captures our attention and our affection and and, and what we lean on uh, for the purpose of hope. I mean, I I think of relationships. I mean, I can't uh, count how many people that I've seen that in, or or maybe even you yourself put a ton of hope, a ton of stock in certain relationships with certain people, and uh, and that's that's your place, and that's where you you find that hope, or or maybe maybe in in a hobby. Uh, maybe because you're really, really good at something or that's where you can kind of excel and there's this building up or this encouragement that comes from that and that's just kind of uh, where you kind of find your hope or, or purpose or meaning there or maybe it's, it, it's money, maybe it's finances. That, that's a place where you, you put your hope and you just kind of feel safe in that area there in that moment. Um, I put government down here. I don't know if there's a lot of that today. But I mean, maybe that was a place at one point you put hope or you look to uh, for, for rescue or you look to for safety. I mean, uh, there, there's a number of places we put our hope. There's a number of things that we turn to uh, with, with an expectation. And j- just the season that we're living in today, I mean, just the season and the day that we're living in, we, we all need to be reminded of hope. And uh, what a better time than Christmas season. Uh, what a better time than than right now, as we look toward where real hope comes from, where we look toward something that that, that can actually uh, land and give us what we so desperately need. So, for a believer, a Christian, hope is not wishful thinking. Uh, hope is not fingers crossed, empty optimism. Uh, uh, that things may get better. That, that, that's not hope for a believer. That's not hope for, for a Christian. The biblical definition of hope is a confident expectation. Uh, th- there is confidence in the thing that we hope for. There, there is assurance in the thing that, that we are unclear of and that's unknown. That, that's what uh, en- encompasses the definition of hope for us as believers. And the reality is this. We know the one that has all power and control of all things. I mean, why would we not find hope in Him? Why would our heart not be settled in the reality of who He is and and what He can do, that He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and that nothing flusters Him, nothing throws Him off, nothing confuses Him? And what makes that hope even more certain is the fact that He's revealed to us in the Scriptures some weighty truths and promises that we can bank on. And, And He has a track record over time of fulfilling and doing exactly what he said. So for us in this room who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we can know with certainty that the current state in this world that we live in is not the way that it's supposed to be. That, that it wasn't meant to be like this. But, but this has happened because we live in a sinful, fallen, rebellious world. And so that's why we have hope. We have hope because things have went Horrifically wrong. And for us, we know the one that is greater and above all the despair, all the brokenness, sin. And so we put our confidence, we put our expectation, our hope in the person and work of Jesus. And we're always reminded of that as he is born, virgin born this time of year. We're reminded of that reality and that truth. That's what this does. Like I can remember as, as a kid uh, talking about hope and expectation. I can, I can remember as a kid, uh, as soon as December 1st hit, uh, the next 24 days were the longest of my entire life. And isn't it crazy how when, like, you become a parent, they're like the quickest days of your entire life. You're like, dang it. It's the, uh, today's the fifth. That's That's, tw- that's 20 days. 19 really for counting for some. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, like cra- it's crazy. The longest days of my life took place from the, the first to the 24th because I couldn't wait to, to, to buzz down there and rip it open, presents and, and, and just have all of the things that I'd wanted and hoped for just be there. And so there was this hopeful expectation in me in that waiting. And see, this is the same dynamic that we're going to look at this morning. This is the same thing that we're going to uh, uh, dive into this morning on that first Christmas. So you have the Jewish people, and, and, and they, they, they knew of the Messiah, they knew of the promised one, the one that we've sung about. They, they, they had heard, and they knew the promises that were made, that, that God had talked about and promised that, that He would come and He would rescue His people, that He would take care of His people. So, so they, they knew that. And so we know that Christmas, the 25th, that's when we celebrate it every year. But these people have been waiting generation after generation after generation after generation, hoping and hoping and hoping, And so many believed. many started to think, well, maybe this is just, this is just a myth. Maybe this is just a tall tale. Maybe this is just a story that's been passed around a little bit. And and it even gotten so bad that there was a group that that began to not believe anymore. They'd given up. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at two people who didn't, who held hope, who kept hope, who followed that hope out. So I'm going to ask you to join me as we pray, and then we'll jump into Luke 1. Father, uh, help us this morning. God, help us this morning to hear from heaven. Father, I know in a room like this, I can't imagine the amount of hopelessness that walked in, whether from circumstance or situation, that are just in a dark place of where maybe it appears that there's just no way out or it appears that there's just no way it can get better or it appears, God, I can't even imagine. And so, Father, my prayer, my hope over the next three weeks, this morning, in this place, as we look at the reality of hope. Father, that you would encourage that heart. Father, that you would move in a mighty way. Father, speak in this moment, I beg of you. Do a work in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Luke Luke 1, 5, this this is the story is where we're going to be this morning. Luke 1, 5, it says this. It says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, his wife was the, of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And so they, they come from a priestly lineage. That's what this is telling us. They, they had heard about the promises. They had seen faith modeled. They had seen faith lived out. That, that, that was a part of, of the legacy that, that came before them. And, and so they, they, knew, they knew of that. But, but there's also something else that they were experiencing themselves. There had been 400 years of silence. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's nothing from God. No prophets, no, no, no words, nothing fulfilled, just 400 years of silence. And so all the people, all that they had was just this hopeful expectation of the one coming because he had been promised. And, and what they did have was story after story after story of, of how God delivered, of how God moved, of what God did. And so the story continues. And they, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were, they were both uh, righteous before God. So we kind of get a little peek into the life of these two. We, we kind of get to pull back the curtain for a moment, and just see, see what uh, the, the, the nature and the character of, of these two people. But it also causes me to question for a moment. It says that they are righteous before God. And my question is, is, how are they righteous before God? Because what we know and what we understand is that righteousness comes from Christ and Christ alone. And in the story, He hasn't been born yet. He's, he's been promised, but he, he has not been born yet. He has not come. He has not died for sin and, and resurrected. And so, how can this be? I mean, I mean, how can they be righteous before God when our righteousness is found in Christ and Christ alone? And so, it's questions and things like these that we see in the scripture that we don't need to pull away from, but we need to dive into. And so, it makes us engage, it makes us wrestle with to try to figure out. And so, that's the kind of people we need to be. We need to be people that are hungry for, uh, for learning and for knowledge and for growing. And so it makes me question, is it something that they're doing? Is it something that they've accomplished on their own? I mean, how can they be righteous before God? Well, it answers as it continues. It says this, that they are righteous before God, doing what? Walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So so what this tells us is this, is that they they knew the commandments. They they knew the law. They were aware of what God had said in days past. And they're walking in that. They're, They're living that out and so I love the fact that it also says commandments. It's not just like commandment, but it's plural. That, that, there, that there's a plurality there. They didn't just focus on one or two little things that they kind of like halfway could do. But instead, they, they looked at the law. Over 600 laws that were given in the Old Testament. Over 600 things that God said don't do or do. And it says that they, that they were walking in those. That they were looking at the statutes of the Lord. So they didn't just focus on a few that they were good at or they could kind of maybe uh, be all right with. And so I just believe that this is so important for us, especially in our day and age now. It's, it's to see what's happening here and to, to dive in all the more and to, and to, and, and to, to look at, at, at why they were doing what they were doing and where they were at. See, I just, I believe it's important for us as believers to be in the Word. I believe that, that it's very, very important. That, that we need to hunger for, that we need to, to feast on, that we need to delight in. And I think the thing that breaks my heart about the church today is the lack of hunger and feasting on the Word of God. That, that's always kind of like something we'll try to get to if we can. That's something we'll try to make time for if possible. If my shows aren't better than or if uh, the kids will just kind of quiet down for a moment or if my schedule doesn't fill up. But what we see about these two, and it was accredited to them as righteousness, as holiness before God, was the fact that they knew the law, knew the word of God, and that they were walking in it blamelessly. Walking in it blamelessly. And so it just amazes me at the power that the Bible attributes to knowledge. Like Second like Peter 1.3 says this, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him, Him, Jesus, who called us to His own glory and excellence. So literally, all the power available from God to live and be godly comes through knowledge. Th- through the knowledge of, through knowing. So what attention we should put on doctrine and instruction of the Scriptures. That's why in this place, we teach through books of the Bible. that We just got finished with our series in James this, this past fall. Why? Because I want us to be well-rounded men and women of God. I want us to know the full counsel of God. I don't want us to just cherry pick certain things or, or make certain things uh, uh, say what we want them to say, but I want us to know the whole story of our God. I mean, how crazy is it? How crazy is it just to know certain parts and, and not the full counsel, the full heart of God? Like, like if I was to tell you my story of how I met my wife and, and I just started... Well, there was an altar. I mean, well, it was at the beach, and we had this preacher, and he was there. And she kind of came down, and we, and there was waves, and there's music, and stringed instruments, and, and after that, we ate a lot. And I just went from there. Like like, 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 no, like the women, like they want the gushy stuff. Like, how did you do it? Oh. What did she say? What was she wearing? It's so, like usually when I tell the story, what I do is I go all the way back to the first time that I saw Meredith. And, and we still have it hanging in our closet. She wanted to throw it out years ago, but I wouldn't let her. And it's this shirt that has a T on it. She was wearing a Tommy Hilfiger shirt, y'all. Like, this isn't even Sermon stuff. This is free. I mean, this, this, Tommy Hilfiger was a sweatshirt. Tommy Hilfiger sh- sweatshirt. And she had, like, those like, those puffy bell-bottom type jeans. And I call them bowling shoes because they look like bowling shoes. Like, she jacked them from the bowling alley the night before. That was just popular back in the day, I guess. Well, it got me. I mean, she walks in, and I'm like, oh oh dear God, yes. And she just happens to go into my small group and she's in my small group for the weekend. Usually that's frowned upon in the church setting. We don't want to hook our small group leaders up with the participants. I mean, she was there and I got to hear her heart. I mean, the way she talked about the Lord. Oh my gosh. And then God had already set it up because after that, then what do we do? We, we end up, I'm with, I'm with the guy leading the retreat because I'm going back to spend time with him because it's in between semester break and so I'm going back to spend time with him in Tennessee. And so we actually get to go to her house. Her house, y'all? Dang, God. I mean, like, like this is like that high fastball. Like, like it's like God, like, Scott, Scott, if you can't hit this ball, there is a problem. So we get back. Like, but see, what happens when I tell the story like that? What happens whenever you hear from that perspective? And then, well, we just there was at the beach. And yeah, I do. She did. We did. And, and here we are, three kids later. See, that's what we rob ourselves from, the, the counsel and the Word of God. It's so important for us to know the story. Old Testament, New Testament, we, we need to know the story of God. Why? So, that, so that we can have hope, why? because we know the heart, nature, and character of God. I mean, whenever I told you the story the second way, what does that do in you? Well, some of you are like, ugh, but others are like, oh my gosh, Jesus, oh, Why don't you know, have my t-shirt and your cloth anyway. But, and it stirs within you some stuff, does it not? And when we know the counsel and the Word of God and the story and we hunger for it and we feast on it, that's why we should put attention to doctrine and instruction in the Scriptures. See, life and godliness are at stake is what, what 2 Peter tells us. And so maybe, just maybe the reason we struggle with feeling powerless or live lives of defeat is because we're not spending time in His Word. Because we haven't dove in, we haven't hungered for, we don't tell the story of it the way that I told the story the second time. Maybe that's the problem. So, so want to, let's, just, let's just take our temperature for a moment. I, I don't want to see hands. In your heart, how many you spend an hour with the Lord this week? It doesn't have to be at one setting. And, and an hour with the Lord in a week, seven days, really is not very good. But we'll just go there for illustration's sake. Maybe, I mean, really spend an hour with the Lord. In His Word, praying, talking to Him. What about 45 minutes? About 30. 15. What about five? Just five minutes this week. You can say, okay, yeah, I can give you five. I have did five. Just in, in the word with the Lord, just, just listening and looking. And if we really want to press for a moment, well, let's just, let's, let's just let's, let's go there since we're already here and I'm the guy with the mic and I've got it in my notes. Let's, let's just do it. Let's, let's have a little heart check for a second. What, what, about, what about this? Have you spent more time on social media than with the Lord by way of his word? You feel that? It's called Conviction. And that's a good gift of God. Because what he's letting you know right now is this. Is that he wants to be with you in the way of his word. He wants you to know him. He wants to spend time with you. I'm just going to lay it out there. If if we've got time to spend scrolling and flipping through and looking at timelines and news feeds and this and that, we have more than enough time to open it up like this. And spend enough time. We, we want to know why the church is in the state that she's in. Maybe it's because we've lost our appetite for the Lord. And we've filled it with junk stuff. We've filled it with junk food and things that don't sustain. Things that don't build up. Things that don't have sustenance in it. Uh, but, but it's all the, the junk sugary stuff. That, that weighs us down, and that helps us feel even more anxious. It helps us feel even more hopeless. It helps us feel all of these things that are contrary and, and anti toward the Lord. I mean, you want to be encouraged. You want to be powerful. Spend time with Him. Get in there and do the hard work of diving in and opening up the Word and look. Okay, what does it mean to be right? Why are they righteous? Before what does that mean? How do I? We've got the time. It's not that we don't have the time. It's just that we've put our time on things that we think that are more important. Now, we'd never say that with our mouth. But what I've I've learned is that our lives speak a lot louder than our words. That our actions speak a lot louder than what our words do. And so what we're seeing here is that they're living by faith. Faith in the things that God has said in the past, the instructions that he has given them, the promises that they've heard. And what are they doing? They're walking in it. They're trusting. They're living it out. They're believing they were living out and believing the promises that God had given a couple thousand years earlier. Still walking and waiting. I mean, who lives that way, especially in our today? In our world, right? I mean, everything's right here, right now. God promised. He promised that he would, and he didn't. And it's been two days, and gummit uh, Amazon can deliver in two days. And if God can't, I mean, is that not the world and the mentality that we have today? Church, just hear me this morning. God works in great ways in the waiting and the silence of moments. God works in monumental ways, in waiting, and in silence. It's like that's the time He prepares us. That's the time. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but like, like, like when things get silent, I'm like, I'm a loud guy. Like, I like to talk a lot. Like, I like to hear me. Like, like, like silence, silence is deafening. Why? Well, because we have to get alone with our thoughts because we have to really think on, because we really have to look into, because we really have to figure out. The noise distracts. And so what I've learned in my life and what I've seen in the Scriptures is that God works in great ways during those times. So verse 7, it says this, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. And so let's just just look here for a second, because what, what they're doing is they're being obedient, and they were walking in, and they were doing the things that they were supposed to be doing. And so as believers, as followers of Jesus, our obedience is not based upon what we want or what we think, but it's based and it's found in in Christ and what He has said and what He's called us to do and called us to be. That's where it's found. And so walking in obedience to the Lord can, from some perspectives, appears to be foolishness. It it can appear to be a defeated life to those who don't know what God has said and what He's called us to do. I mean, can you imagine those that didn't believe? Oh yeah, you're God, yeah. Your, I mean, think, think of Noah. Think of the stories in the scriptures. I mean, Noah, do what, what you're building out there. I mean, can you imagine how foolish he felt sometimes? It, it never rained before. You don't need a boat. Well, what's rain? What are you talking about? I mean, for us following the Lord, sometimes in those moments seems foolish. and seems ridiculous to those who don't have perspective. I mean, these two are well advanced in years. And so it makes no sense. It makes no sense that God could do this, that God would do this through them. But what do they do? They trust anyways. They obey anyways. They walk it out through his word. They knew God. They walked with him. They cared about what he said and what he did. That, that's what they're doing. They're being faithful and walking in the promises of God. And so what promise is it that they're believing? What promise is it that they're following? Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says this, God said, I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great. He's telling this to Abraham, Abram at the time. And you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. All people will be blessed through you. That's the promise that they're hanging on. And even in the silence, they remembered what God had said. Even in the silence and what appears to be hopelessness, they remember that promise, and they cling to it. See, I think that's one of the reasons why we are walk around without hope is because we don't know what God's promised. But we don't know what God has told us. We don't know what God has said. And so what happens is we see the world around us. We see situations and circumstances. But we don't see the one who has spoken over those. We don't see the one who is over those or who's in control of those. And so we see all this chaos, all this craziness. And, and we've forgotten what he's told us to be true. And we let our heart go there and we drift toward the wrong things. So, so just a little history real quick about, about Abraham. Abraham had a son who had a son. Father Abraham had many sons. And I'm just up here by myself singing. Where are you at, dude? Come on. You know, you've heard Maybe you haven't heard the song. Anyway, there's this cool little song about Father Abraham and it had many sons. And so that, that's who we're talking about. And so he had a bunch of sons who moved to Egypt and they became the nation of Israel. And eventually they made their way back to the promised land there where they had become this kingdom and things really took off. And it appeared that God was blessing and, it, and he was doing what he had told them, that he was going to bless all the people of the earth through this lineage of Abraham and so during the golden years of Israel, things were, I mean, just looking really, really good. But as we see in Scripture, what happens? Things fall apart. The nation splits. There's these wars. There were some good kings that show up and lead, lead right, and then there's some really, really bad kings. And so Israel was conquered, and they're occupied, and they're even exiled. And so this idea that the entire world would be blessed through them just seemed absolutely crazy in this day. But if I can any encouragement it gets worse because in 65 bc pompey the great a roman general he marches into jerusalem what does he do he pushes right past the temple guards and the priests and he marches into the holy of holies and what do we know about the holy of holies the hol- you don't mess with the holy of holies you don't go in the holy of holies but he he goes in there because that's where they believe the jews believe that god dwelt that's where they believe that god god was at and the only the high priest would go in there when once a year That was the only time that he could go in once a year. And the Jews believed that if you went in the Holy of Holies uninvited, that God would strike you down. He would kill you. So what happens? Pompey goes into the Holy of Holies. Nothing happens to him. Nothing happens to him. What do you think that did? Do you not think words spread about that? This God that we worship? I mean, the implications are clear now, so in their minds. You've got Jupiter, the God of the Romans. He's got to be more powerful than Yahweh, God of Israel. The God of Israel didn't do anything. And so Zechariah, he was a little boy when all of that happened, when all that unfolded. And his father would have been a priest during that time. And it would appear that God did absolutely nothing to stop such blasphemy and offense. That's what it would appear and look like. And so Zechariah, he ends up going into the priesthood in spite of, and he serves God his whole life. He'd been obedient his whole life. But something new is about to happen. God was about to move and do and fulfill his promise. Let, let's continue going. Luke 1.8, it says this. So it, it was that, that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the customs of the priesthood, his lot failed to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So he, he's chosen to go into the Holy of Holies. That's what's happened. And this is a very sacred time. This is a very holy time. This is a very special time. And he gets chosen to go in. Luke 1.10 says, And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. And I just want to help us here for a moment to kind of navigate through water sometimes that get muddy because because look at the response to Zechariah here when he sees the angel of the Lord. Look at what he does. And it's not just here that this happens. Like in Scripture, when men and women uh, are in the presence of holiness, are in the presence of angels, are in the presence uh, of, of the Lord, this is the response that we see. We see fear and trembling. We see a holy reverence is what we see. I mean, you don't see sweet naked babies flying around and all this stuff. Like, oh, they're so good. You don't see that. But something that brings about fear and reverence, holiness of God. Holy, that, that's what we see. That's what happens. I mean, you see it in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, when he has this dream and he's, he, he's there before the, before the Lord. And the train of his robe fills the place and you've got angels flying around singing, holy, holy, holy. What does he do? Oh, face down. Face down before the Lord. I mean, that's the response that we see in the Scriptures. That's the response that we see. So, so any picture outside of that, I would just question very, very hard. Verse 13, he goes on and says this. He says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayers is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and she will call his name John. And I just want to point out here that that, that they've been praying and and that God had heard. They had been praying because you got to understand in this culture in this day not to have kids. That's a disgrace. There's got to be something wrong with you. There has to be all kinds of murmuring and things going on because, because in this day, I mean, I mean, this was a big deal to have kids, and they, and they were barren and had none. And the thing I love about it is God, God had heard them. Church, just know that, that God hears the cries of his people. God hears and he knows and he is aware. So, wherever you're at in life, whatever's happening, whatever's going on, whatever's stirring, God hears and he is aware. You just got to give him time. Not because he needs time. Not because he's slow or not because he's got to get to other people or not because he's kind of distracted in the moment. I mean, there's a pandemic going on, for goodness sakes, right? And we're trying to navigate now. There's a new variant out. There's shots. There's not shots. What do we do? God's trying to figure that out. He'll get to your little stuff in a minute. No. He's well aware and he knows just like he did in this day. 400 years of science. Why? Because he's preparing and working and he's about to bust loose, y'all. And he's going to bust loose in a way that's going to shock the world. He's going to shock the world, and he starts. He starts with these two little pieces in the story. Two what would appear to be insignificant little pieces in the story, and he's going to give him a boy. He's going to work in a way that doesn't make sense. In a time that doesn't make sense verse 14 says, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. This is John the Baptist he's talking about. This is the front runner before Jesus to go and tell about Jesus before his coming. This is who we're talking about. And Elizabeth, she's going to be the carrier of this baby. He goes on in verse 16 and says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. why? Well, because many had abandoned. Many had lost hope. Many had walked away. In verse 17, And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And look at Zechariah's response in verse 18. He says to the angel, how, how shall I know this? For I, I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. He doubts. Does he not doubt? He's like, I'm old. And, and, and I mean, he was like, like, like kind of tactful here. Like, but, but my girl, I mean, she, I mean she's advanced too. I mean, it's like he's like skating on that line. But the issue, I mean, he, he's doubting. And look at the response in 19. And the angel answered and, and said to him, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And, and I'm sent, his purpose was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. I mean, I don't, care, I don't care what you think or what you believe. I mean, God Almighty has sent me to speak on his behalf. Even in your doubting, I'm going to tell you. And and this is the response. He says, but behold, in verse 20, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. There it is, in their own time. God works in his timing. And the thing that we need to understand and the thing that we know, just like in this day, just like in our day, that God has got a date circled on his calendar. For Big C Church... For little old us, God has got a day marked on His calendar. He had waited and waited hundred years while on purpose for this moment. I mean, I believe He was setting up for the grand entrance of the greatest gift ever known. That's what He's doing. That's what happens. I mean, He He's setting up, but you need to know something. He's doing the same thing for you. That God's got a purpose and a plan, and He's going to work and He's going to do. And there's a date on the calendar circled that, that He's going to come through in a way that you can. And this is not one of those like hope prosperity type things. Because we've got to understand how God gives and why God does what He does and, and how He allows. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Because for us as the believer, man, my hope is not rooted on, on things getting better here on planet Earth. My hope is rooted in the reality of eternity. And so the sooner I get there, the sooner I win. I mean, little stuff that happens here is just bonuses and, like, just little pieces of trinkets and stuff. But, man, eternity with Christ? I mean, y'all are awesome and great, and I love you, but, man, He is so much better. And my wife's sitting back there. You know, the one with the T, hillfinger shirt, bowling shoes? Jesus is a million times better than she could ever be. And she better say the same thing in reality to me. That's what my heart longs for. Nothing's getting better here. Not, not for my hope to be fulfilled in stuff here, but eternity there. And that day circled. So, so church, hear me. Even though God's quiet, and this is really important, hear me here. He's never inactive. Though God may seem to be sitting on the sidelines, he is never inactive. Never. He hadn't lost interest. He's going to intervene at the appointed time. And I just love that reality. God's timing is always Perfect. There's a song right now we can't quit listening to in my household by Toby Mac. He's never early and he's never late. Never early and never late. He is right on time, perfect. And so I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're fighting. I don't know what's happening in your heart. But never forget that God is well aware. And you keep crying out to him because that's what your hope is found. And you lean in on and you trust in. And he's going to move and he's going to do in ways that you'll never expect. Because what we know about this story to be lived out because it's going to end at Easter, Right? It's going to come one day to a cross. And there's going to be a group of people that are going to be disappointed because they they were expecting a different kind of king. They were expecting a different kind of present. But that's another sermon for another day. Verse 21, And all the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple, but when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, So uh, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service was completed. He departed to his own house. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, "Thus the Lord has dealt with me, in the days when He looked on me to take away my reproach among people." See, see God was gearing up for what He was going to do. He had this planned out planned out all along. He kept His promise, and the day had come when God would put into action what He had planned to do, since He made the promise to Abraham way back when, thousands of years ago. Every nation on earth would be blessed. And so, Zechariah and Elizabeth were the start of the greatest story ever told. They were the start of the greatest story ever told. Church, this is our story too. As the band comes back up, this is our story. Will you trust what God has said? Will you be obedient to what He expects no matter what? Will you walk in His Word, be hungry, and desire to know Him that way? Do you believe or have you stopped believing? I mean, do you know that there's a better day coming? And I'm not talking necessarily this side of eternity. I mean, do you know that? Do you know that? See, the story of Christmas is a reminder that our faith in God is not misplaced. That He keeps His promises. That He's going to do what He said and what He has promised in times past. And so what I'd encourage you this morning to do is just enter into a relationship with God. Press in more. Stay faithful. Watch. Let him be all that you need in your life. Let him be your hope. Let him be your sustenance. He will come through. We've got nothing but story after story after story about how God appears and does in the moments of desperation. In his timing. Stay faithful. Let him be all you need. His timing's perfect, not ours. You walk in a confident expectation. A hope that's only found and rooted in Christ Jesus. So this morning, if you don't know him as Lord and Savior, I'd love to have more conversation with you. I'd love to talk. I would love to pray with. I'd love to do whatever we could do. Any questioning, any doubt is welcome in this place. No need to be ashamed of that. Do you not know, see Zachariah do it? <laughs> that's cool. cool story. Yeah, all right. Like, I'm old and she's... Right there with me. And God even does in the doubting. God even moves toward even in the midst of. So wherever you're at, whatever God's doing, whatever he's speaking to your heart, I just want to encourage you this morning. Find hope in him. That's what encourages me about this season. Because I don't know if you're like me. I mean, we can get so busy. We can got so much going on, so much stuff pulling us here and there in every which way. It's so easy. I, th- I think that's why hope's kind of been hard. Ho- it's just heavy on my heart. I mean, days have been dark for me lately. As they have for everybody else. And so what do I have to do? I have to root myself back in the reality where my hope is found. Not in a circumstance or a situation, but in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what better to be reminded than by an innocent, pure, perfect little baby born of a virgin? I mean, how crazy is that to think that that one day is going to rule and reign through that way? That's how God delivers. Himself wrapped in flesh and blood. And the way that he rules is not with an iron fist, but with humility, love, grace, mercy. So much so that he dies on a cross. To extend that invitation of hope to all who will believe. So I know where you're at this morning what God's speaking to your heart, man, you you run headlong into him. Whether that be getting his word this week like you've never gotten into his word, it's praying, spending time with, going after. Father, help us find our hope in you. Help us be rooted in that reality. God, I just pray for a desire and longing and yearning and hunger for your word. God, I pray that for me because it's not like it needs to be. And so, God, I just, I just pray. And I, and I don't want it to just be like a little uh, like appetizer here and they're Like, I want to feast on it. And so I pray that for the men and women in this room. That we come to know you greater through your word. That's how our hope can be strengthened. We're reminded of the sweetest story ever told. Lord, we need you so desperately. Move in this moment and your name we pray. Amen. If you guys will stand, they're going to lead us in a time of response. If you want to come pray, if you need to talk, whatever we can do to, to just serve you and love You, in this moment, you be obedient.